With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Monday. This is Stick to Football. I'm Matt Miller, lead draft writer at BR, joined in a hotel room in Austin by Mello with a great fuzzy windscreen on his mic. I thought you were going to be talking about my hair because we just woke up yeah. after a long day of hanging out with the Hellraisers, going to the Texas game. So it's early in the morning, but we're here. We're doing it for you guys. Yeah, and Connor, we got you in Manhattan or Hoboken. Oof. You're not even across the river. You're in Hoboken living the dream. No, no. I, I woke up in my own bed today, so everything is nice and cozy here in Hoboken. <laughs> you never know. You just, you, yeah, you say point. that. You say that like it happens, and uh, a lot of times you're not in your own bed. So congratulations, <laughs> well, I guess. It, well, sun, when we record on Sunday mornings, I'm going to make it a point to roll out of bed and roll right over to the mic and be ready to go because that's my dedication and commitment to stick to football. Yep. Closing that hand jab on, on Sunday nights or on the Saturday nights. Uh, it really Sunday mornings, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have a fun show for you. Mello and I are in Austin. We're going to have some Texas legends on the show. Uh, as far as interviews go, we're going to give out our hundred dollar handshakes. Mello has a well actually for you as far as rules go. Uh, we're going to update our Heisman list, and we're going to get to our draft on draft questions that you guys send in. Let's start this off as we do on the Monday show with our hundred dollar handshakes. This is again, this was how you would uh, you would you know boosters say thanks to players. Like I'm I'm sure that uh, well I don't want to accuse anyone. Never mind. But I'm sure there's some going out this morning <laughs> that, that went out last night. So mine up first. I want to give one to Mason and Dante with the Longhorn Hellraisers. These guys were amazing hosting us, taking us into their crew yesterday. And when it was time for them to like turn up the energy to start getting hyped for the game, uh, Mason took over and they, it, it was great. I, I found myself wishing I was 21 years old and in college again, because these, the kids had fun and, and they're all about the university of Texas, all about the football team. Uh, so shout out to Mason and Dante for making yesterday fun for us. And they're all about stick to football too. Like that was so great to have them involved and actually know like what we're about and what's going on. And, and like you said, for them to be involved and then to have guys that are stick to football fans and Texas Longhorn fans, that was awesome to have those guys there. Yeah. It looked like you guys had a ton of fun. I mean, it looks like they gave you guys obviously a really good time and what Austin's about. So it was I, the tailgate tour seems to be off to a good start. I can't wait to get on the road and join you guys. And just a reminder, guys, that all these we're going to be doing giveaways and and obviously plenty of plenty of drinking, plenty of fun. So it's it's great to have everyone with us. So my first hundred dollar handshake is actually a guy from a losing team, which is pretty hard to do. But Darius Anderson on TCU just had a hell of a game. I mean, he only had, I think, like 10 to 12 carries and went over 150 yards. You look at the big playability here. I thought TCU, yes, they fell apart. They collapsed. And I know you guys were a little busy when that game was on. <laughs> but it was impressive how much, how quickly the offense kept answering in this game. At some point, the talent for Ohio State and the big play, you know, the turnover play for Ohio State was too much. 
But this guy, this guy left it all on the field and was just a really fun, explosive running back to watch. I'm going to stick with the same game for my $100 handshake uh, because Bosa goes down with an injury and you kind of expected him to fall off on that defensive line. But Draymond Jones took over and he dominated that offensive line for TCU and made a couple big plays for them. So he's getting my $100 this week. Yeah, I have to give mine to someone who I was skeptical of all summer. I kept saying, you know, this guy struggled the last time we saw him. I'm just not sure if he's going to live up to the hype and the expectations. Kyler Murray at Oklahoma has lived up to the hype and the expectations. Uh, I think we kept saying, well, let's see him against a better team. Let's see him against a better team. And Iowa State is not Alabama, but it was a better team. Um, and, and he had a great game. Again, the connection that he has with Marquise Brown is phenomenal. I mean, every week you can just bet on those guys making big plays. So as much as it pains me to do this and, and hat tip a sooner, I have to give it to Kyler Murray. We have been hard on him like all off season, but he's, he's proven us wrong. Like I'll eat crow. I said, I thought he was going to suck. And guess what? He doesn't. Uh, <laughs> is this the point of the show where we talk about Twitter though? Or, or no, I don't know. I think it, <laughs> I mean, I'll get it going. Yeah. I mean, let's do it. I mean, everyone saw that Baker Mayfield and I had an interaction on Saturday that wasn't positive. I, I you know, like, I think a lot of people don't understand my job and my job is to, you know, I'm a journalist. I'm a reporter. And so, I ask people questions. I ask scouts questions. I sent a scout a text yesterday as we're watching the Oklahoma game. And the question was, as you're watching Kyler Murray dominate people, does it, does it give you pause? and wonder if some of Baker's success was scheme oriented. I don't think that's an unfair question to ask. I don't think that's a question that says Kyler Murray sucks. I don't think that's a question that says Baker Mayfield sucks. It just isn't an open-ended question to say, okay, now we're seeing another guy do it. Does it speak more to Kyler Murray being very talented and holy shit, Oklahoma just got lucky and they have two great quarterbacks back to back. I don't think it was a question where Baker had to, you know, get all riled up as he always fucking does though. Like, here's my thing. Spend more time in the playbook and less time on Twitter. I mean, I'll jump in here and give my thoughts on it because I I wasn't going to start talking about it on Twitter while everyone else was. It's one of those things where an I'll, everyone that listens to this show knows I liked Baker Mayfield, the quarterback prospect. And I know you you guys did too. It's not like you guys thought he wasn't going to be a good quarterback. When it comes down to it, I get people like that he's different and he's brash. No franchise quarterback in the NFL is doing this. They're not on Twitter arguing with people or also let's just call it like it is. The first response to you, he didn't even understand the tweet because he finished it with, not your first take that shows your lack of knowledge. It wasn't your take. It was relaying info. So it also shows like it's almost like a hothead response where it wasn't digested. It was just like, oh, I'm furious reading this. Here's my response. It's going to just trash you and your career, which is completely unwarranted and, and not true, most importantly. So it was embarrassing, I think, for a franchise like the Browns that just wants to get it right and turn things around and do things the right way, the normal way, this isn't it. And I don't know if it's because he's not busy enough on Sundays that he has to be busier on Saturdays. (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry, but this ain't it. You know, focus on getting that win. I think the Browns are really trending upward. I know fans do like this, but I saw a lot of people that didn't like this. And I had people texting me that were laughing at this because they think this side of it is embarrassing. When I was showing Melo my phone, there were several NFL quarterbacks who reached out to me yesterday and said, 
man, how embarrassing is this? And, you know, I'm sure there are people that love it. Uh, listen, there's people who also loved that Donald Trump was brash. So let's, yeah. not, let's not say that that's like the, you know, the, the standard that we want to set. But, hey, Baker has my number. If he wants to call and hash this out, I've I, what's funny is that it's now almost become a thing when we were so supportive of him, especially like the decision to go to the senior bowl or not. Like he and I talked about that decision of should he go? How would it benefit him? I mean, all throughout the draft process. So it, I'm a little surprised by it, but maybe it's a, it's a Texas Oklahoma feud. I don't know what to make of it. All right, Mello, you are up with your next hundred dollar handshake. Now let's, that we got that out of our system, let's keep it with Texas uh, because this is really like the one game that we got to watch yesterday. Uh, we we watched a little bit of every other game that was going on, but the one we did get to watch was Texas versus USC. And the guy that keeps standing out for me as we do watch Texas games is Caden Stearns. I know Connor got a good look at him early, but this guy's getting on the field early and he's already making plays with this field goal block. He almost had the chance to return it to. He is a very good safety prospect probably in three years from now. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, you guys got a good one, man. I mean, he just looks like the real deal already to be able to get on the field that quick and make things happen. Uh, I'm going with another young safety, Grant Delpit on LSU. Another guy that's not draft eligible, might be the best safety in the country. Got on the field right away for LSU, had the big interception against Auburn. You look at Delpit and you go, man, 6'3", over 200 pounds, his range and coverage, his ability downhill. I love this guy. And for a Tigers program that finally looks for real, because Joe Burrow is not a great quarterback, but a very solid quarterback. With the talent they have, that's all they need. And and Delpit and Greedy Williams and Devin White, I mean, they got a star-loaded defense, and it is a lot of fun to watch right now. Yeah, and my last one, I'm going to stick with LSU, man. It's Greedy Williams, uh, a corner that it seems like no one really wants to test right now. So um, I, I know we've talked before about Kendall Sheffield and DeAndre Baker. DeAndre Baker continues to make plays, but I got to call it greedy Williams just because the, the stats might not be there, but the playmaking definitely has been. So he would be my last hundred dollar handshake. Mello close this out. You got two of them, buddy. Yeah, I'm going with a one guy that I haven't been real big on yet in Trevor Lawrence. He's a five star top prospect, but I've been hesitant to put him on my list. But I think with the Kelly Bryant injury and the way that he's been playing, I think it's trending towards him starting within the next two weeks. I think he's going to take over that role. And another guy that I have been high on all year long, Donovan Peoples-Jones comes out and has three touchdowns yesterday, showing you that he can do it with body control in the red zone. He can make plays after the catch, and he can just take the top off the defense. All three great examples of what this kid can do early. Yeah, so a lot of fun. And one thing um, <laughs> Mello was telling me right before we started recording. So Alabama plays Ole Miss yesterday. Ole yep. Miss comes out and they score on the first play of the game. Yeah, that NWO, those receivers. Right. Just you thought it was going to be a good one. It was not. They did not score again. Alabama put the route on them. So uh, Nick Saban is unreal. He doesn't need the $100 handshake, but he deserves one. Mello, you've got a well actually for us this week. A rule, question, or interpretation comes to us, I think, every week. And Mello Esquire is going to break it down for you. Yeah, this was a good one that we got on Twitter from Marcus Vaccaro. He says, I know you guys are at the Texas USC game, but this TCU guy fair caught the second half kickoff on the one. Is there some weird college rule I don't understand? And there is. There's a new rule this year where you can actually fair catch a kickoff and it doesn't matter where you're at. As long as you're within the 20 yard line, you can fair catch it 
and get the ball at the 20. I think that the NCAA and even the NFL, they're doing a lot of things to pretty much get rid of kickoff returns. I think in the next couple of years, maybe 10 years or so, we're just going to be starting off at the 20. Just everything's a touchback. But in college football, you can fair catch it this year. It's just a, it's another way to get guys not hitting their heads so much. All right. Now, like we do every single week on the Monday show, we got to update our Heisman lists, some movement, some falls, some rises. I'll kick us off and just read the whole thing. I, a big fall, unfortunately, for Ed Oliver, which isn't necessarily his entire fault. He was number one for me last week. He's number five for me this week. When you give up that many points to Texas Tech, and I'm not saying it's Ed Oliver's fault, it's just tough, tough for a defensive player to really take it that serious for the, the Heisman Trophy. Number four, Dwayne Haskins, the Ohio State quarterback. Number three, Kyler Murray, the Oklahoma quarterback. Number two, Tua, the Alabama quarterback. As Matt always says, this is a quarterback trophy. This is not a college football. Everyone is in it trophy. And to buck that trend, number one, I know he got hurt. It depends how much time he misses. But number one, hashtag defense for Heisman, Nick Bosa. Yeah, and, and hopefully we do get to see him back in a couple of weeks. I, I think right now, you know, they're saying abstrain, which is likely to cost him a couple of weeks. I, yeah. I also had a, a big change on my list. Uh, I, I previously last week, I had Jonathan Taylor's number one. My list now, Will Greer comes in at number five. I took both defensive guys off my list. I, I just don't see a way that they're going to be able so to do it hard. now. We're going to fight the good fight. Yeah, I mean, Bosa has three sacks and nine tackles in two games. He's pretty damn good, but it's just it's so hard to win as a defender. Um, so I went Will Greer five. Jonathan Taylor falls to four for me with the loss to BYU. And as we were talking about uh, off air, it, we're going to see defenses stack up against him. It's going to be like Saquon Barkley last year. I don't see any way he's going to have the numbers uh, to get the trophy at the end of the day. And then kind of like you said, my, my big thing is this is a quarterback award. I close it out with Dwayne Haskins at three, Kyler Murray at two, and our boy Tua at one. If Bama's going to put 60 on folks every week, Tua's going to win this fucking award. Like, guaranteed. I haven't had Tua on my list so far, but I am I'm jumping on that train with you guys. They're the number one team in the country, and they're led by a very good quarterback. So he's on my list. I just I wonder about how, how, many, how much numbers is he going to put up. He's not really putting up the yards. I think he threw for two touchdowns yesterday. But still, being the number one team in the nation and being the guy on that offense is going to help him out. So I'll run down my list. Dropping all the way to number five for me is Jonathan Taylor. I just I think you guys are right. People are going to load the box, and he's going to struggle to get yardage. And also, his team lost yesterday. That's a very, very big hit to his Heisman campaign. So he's at number five for me. Will Greer is going to come in at number four. Dwayne Haskins, a quarterback that we all three like watching play, he comes in at number three for me. And then I'm going with Tua at number two. I just I think there's a lot going for him. And then number one, obviously it sucks for me to say this, but Kyler Murray's lighting up the college football <laughs> world. Dude's throwing for touchdowns. He's rushing for touchdowns. Well, he's and in they, a great offense. He, he already has the attention of a Heisman winner last year on that team. So I think he's just going to ride it right into December and probably win this thing for OU again. Back to back. It'd be like USC, right? They went back to back with Liner and Reggie Bush. If you well, count Reggie you Bush count as Reggie a Heisman Bush's. winner. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny, uh, Connor, we're down here in Austin, right? And we go to this Vince Young event Friday night, and it was a lot of fun. And then yesterday they were like, yeah, Vince will be at the Heisman house Saturday if you guys want to swing by. Like, how does Vince Young get into the Heisman house? He never won Heisman. Yeah, uh, what? This doesn't make sense. Yeah, but I guess if you say that Reggie lost the 05 Heisman, Vince was the runner-up. So maybe he's like just... 
maybe they're going to finally do the right thing and be like, you yeah. know what? Retroactive. <laughs> we do have a Heisman winner from 2005. He's an honorary Heisman House cardholder. It's kind of like Lindale White is an honorary Texas Longhorn. We ran into that dude so much uh, this weekend. Just and so many different players talking about him. Like, what is he up? What is Lindell White up to? I don't know. He's hilarious, though. We're going to get him on the pod. I, I did not expect him to be like funny, engaging. And he is. Like, he's he's great. But, you know, because it was Texas USC weekend, I, I think there was a lot of attention on the, you know, the 06 Rose Bowl. So Lindell was down here doing doing events with VY. It was it was actually pretty cool. Man, that's awesome to hear because I know like a year or two ago he was going through some problems because of concussions and all that. So obviously that's pretty exciting to hear. Uh, you know, when you look at this Heisman race right now, yeah, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong here, doesn't it, it's starting to feel like it's one of those years where it's just going to go to a quarterback by default because no one is having a uniquely special year. And like I said, Bosa is. But the injury, he can't. You can't afford to miss time if you want to win it as a defensive player. And it's one of those situations where it's like, okay, Jonathan Taylor could have the numbers at running back, and now they lose to BYU, it makes it a little tougher. It's just starting to feel like, okay, let's take the team that doesn't lose a game and give it to the quarterback. And that's that's going to probably be Oklahoma or Alabama or maybe Ohio State. Well, I, I think one thing that's that I would find interesting, and I've, we've seen this happen before, is with Oklahoma, you have Marquise Brown and you have Kyler Murray. Are they going to take votes from each other? Because Marquise Brown is Good having point. a Heisman caliber year. Like, if you really want to get down and look at what it takes to win the award, you have to play offense, you have to be on a top team. And it, are they going to take votes from each other so that someone like Dwayne Haskins or Tua could end up winning this thing? And I, I think... You can look at maybe two years ago where Lamar Jackson posted like 50 touchdowns, wasn't on a great team, but he was just so electric as a player that he got the win. That kind of reminds me of how Kyler Murray is right now. And it, we've only seen three weeks, so there's you know nine to go. But Kyler Murray is going to put up the total touchdown numbers and and playing quarterback, the spotlight's going to be on him. And I, I also wonder, and Oklahoma would be very smart, I think, to utilize this as a marketing campaign. We only get one year at Kyler Murray. I don't, I don't know if we've talked enough about that. He signed a deal with the Oakland A's. They drafted him He's ninth gone. overall. He can play one year of football, and then he has to report to training camp for the A's. So people are asking about him as a pro prospect on the NFL side. It's not happening. He is playing oh, baseball. It's, He's playing one year of I have football. Not, I have not $5 million this year. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's all I haven't set. invested. Yeah, and I haven't invested a second into evaluating him as a pro because it's not it's not happening unless he fails in baseball. And guess what I would do if I were him? I would go play baseball. You can play baseball yes. for 20 fucking years and get hit in the head three times. You play in the NFL, you're going to get hit in the head every day. So, no, I'm going to Oakland. I'm going to play second base for the A's and then the Yankees when I get good. See you guys later. <laughs> All right, guys, we have two great interviews for you. Michael Griffin and Jordan Shipley, uh, both Texas legends. Michael Griffin, one of the best safeties that I've ever seen in college football, had a tremendous career. And then Jordan Shipley, the go-to receiver for four years at Texas uh, with Colt McCoy. So great getting a chance to sit down and talk to these guys. Hope you enjoy the interviews. We're lucky to be joined by Michael Griffin, who's doing a lot of work now with the Longhorn Network, looking good in his suit. And you, you play with some really good guys in your time at Texas. You play with Michael Huff. He kind of took you on early in your career. 
What's he like as a coach? Because that's the role he's in now. So how did he help you out in your career? Early? Man, you know, it was it was fresh because, I mean, when you the one thing I learned is when you want to be a good player or a great player, wherever it may be, you know, you attach yourself to players that are doing what, do what you want to be. And, um, you know, I came in, he was a registered sophomore, and uh, he was starting um, at the safety position. And um, just watching it every time that Coach Akina gave any examples, he always, you know, showed his film of what Michael Huff was doing. So at that point, it was, me picking his brain, asking him questions on, you know, what does he see? And um and just going from there. And I remember uh, you know, he he was always there. I remember the, the one game I can't say I got to play my sophomore year. He got hurt, went down in the first play I came in, I gave almost gave up a deep ball. And uh he came back and was like, Hey, it's okay. I'm 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 good to go back in. I was <laughs> like, Thank you. Like, please go back in because I'm I'm not ready yet. But um going into my junior year of the year one national championship, I mean we was able to play off each other. You know, I knew his strengths. He knew my strengths. We knew each other's weaknesses, and we knew what each other liked to do and things of that nature. So, and we were listed as strong safety, free safety. But, I mean, based on what formation you gave us was based on how we adjusted, and that's just something we did on our own. You talk about that national championship game. That's one of the most talented defenses I've ever seen. You had two Thorpe Award winners in the secondary, and then yourself, your brother, Cedric Griffin. Does it make you mad that the offense gets all this attention for what, <laughs> what Vince Young did? But really, I think you guys carried the Man, team. you know, you uh, shut down Matt Liner, Reggie Bush. It was, it was, it was amazing because I mean, you go back and watch that game. I mean, we were the the whole week was Reggie Bush, Reggie Bush, Reggie Bush. It wasn't even Linda White, and then Linda White came out there, and I mean, he had a fantastic, amazing game. I mean, still, I think that might have been one of the best performances from a running back. Unfortunately. The fourth and short he didn't get, but I mean that type of game. And plus, he was a former teammate of mine at the uh, Tennessee Titans. But you know, the game that he had, it, it was amazing. And um, you know, it was so much light shown on Matt Leinart and shown on um, Reggie Bush. But you know, two Heisman Trophy winners. But again, I mean, I think you had guys that didn't get all the awards. They they all showed up. I mean, you can go through the list. Um, Drew Kelson made a great play. Um, when he was guarding Reggie Bush, uh, Cedric Griffin starting the game off with a with a great hit on the fullback on the sideline. Um, Vince, I think you're being humble though, because you had I, a I mean, you, damn good you, play there. Too. It was a great play, but I mean, if you know, you you look at that play, but I mean, the play that got them that got them when Reggie Bush scored, you see he outran my angle on on that side. So, I mean, you you look at you always look at all the positives, but you, and you still go back to all the negatives. And like I said, was, there was a lot of guys made a lot of great plays in that game. It just goes unnoticed because all you think about is that that final run. Yeah, of, fourth of, and five. So, yeah. I mean, but it was a lot of great plays. If you watch that game over, you can really see where, you know, how the, the, the swing of things were going, how, you know, you know, we were punching them and then they we started putting our hands up, blocking their punches, coming at us, and then we would come back at them they would come back out. So it was just a very hard-fought game. Yeah, one thing that you mentioned is, you know, Lindell White had a great game, and we actually got the opportunity to hang out with some of your former teammates, and and Lindell was there. And it seems like from the Texas perspective, there's so much respect for him. And I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but I've never heard anyone say that about Reggie Bush or Matt Leinart. So what was like, I mean, did you guys feel the same about them? Because everyone seems like, man, like Lindell's this great guy, and he handled everything with class. And then with Matt and Reggie, it's like they almost don't get mentioned. You know, it's, it's, I mean, I never had a, you know, again, Lindell, I think he kind of got grandfathered in just because he, <laughs> you know, he was a former teammate of me and Vince's. And, um, you know, we always talked and, and joked around, especially when we was in, you know, playing defense and in practice. And if there was like a fourth and short or something, I'll say <laughs> out loud, hey, deja vu, here it comes again. <laughs> but, um, 
I mean, I think he just got grandfathered in because him and Vince became real good friends, and you know, he was always around us former Texas guys. So, um, I don't, we we never really developed a relationship with with Reggie Bush. I'm trying to think if anybody or any teammates that I have ever played, you know, with those guys, and even at the next level. So, I mean, I've never had any any conversations with him. I never, you know, had any interaction with him. So, I mean, I guess that may be why, you know, you you see. The, uh, Lindell around of us, around us a lot, but you don't really see those other two. I mean, you talk about Lindell and your time in Nashville. Nashville is a place that Matt and I love to get to every chance that we can. What was it like for you being a young guy going from Austin, which is a great city, and then being drafted by the Titans in Nashville? Man, you know, being from Texas, you know, you go to Houston, you go to Dallas, it's just like you're going to a whole completely different state. But when that, you know, I got drafted by the Tennessee Titans. I was just like, where is Tennessee on the map? Just, <laughs> I mean, you just never hear it. I mean, you know about the University of Tennessee, you know, with Peyton Manning and T. Martin there and whatnot. But, um, I mean, when I, it's just, you just never really, when I, before I got there, I just never really heard anything about the city, you know. And um, it, it was a great time. You know, I met my wife there and um it was. It's a city that's growing. Um, every time I go back, it's it's it looks completely different. So, um, nothing but the utmost respect for the for the for the fans, the the fan base, the the people, the the they This is a great city, and I I see why it's it's a sleeper city. You can get there, go there, and have a great time and learn a lot of different things that you don't realize that it really exists. And, and like one thing we definitely want to ask you about because you you played with some some great quarterbacks here at Texas and and since this is primarily a college football podcast there's people who like have, you know there was that stretch there where y'all were good every year from Vince to Colt playing with both those guys and and they both had a ton of success uh, Colt came up just a little short in the national championship against Alabama getting hurt but how different were they and how did that change the like the chemistry of your team with just the different types of leadership that they brought. You know, when I when with Colt, you know, he was a red shirt freshman my my senior year. So, you know, it was kind of like us. I mean, he was a great quarterback. He was learning the system. And I think he learned a lot, you know, red shirt in that year behind Vince when he um we won a national championship. So but when it comes to being leadership, I mean we had a lot of a lot of returning seniors from Brian Robinson, uh Tim Crowder who was on that D line. Um yeah, Brian Arakpo who who was a you know who was who played you know the prior year but he was a red shirt he's a guy two years behind us um jamal charles was coming in he was a young guy but you still had selma young on the offensive side the offensive line was justin blaylock casey stuttered um laos in line uh tony i mean you had a lot of veteran i look at as veteran type guys that's been around and on the defense side of the ball um like i get i said tim crowder just, I mean, Tim Crowder, Brian Robinson, then at the linebacker position, you had Drew Kelson returning, Robert Killebrew. Um, and then in the back half, you still had myself, Aaron Ross, Terrell Brown, uh, my brother, Marcus Griffin. So you had a lot of older guys as, as he stepped in at the starting role. You had a lot of, I'd say, veterans or older guys that had a lot of experience under their belt, let alone won a national championship the year before. So, um Vince was different because, you know, when we both started playing around the same time. I was a freshman. He was a redshirt freshman. And, you know, he learned, and I think we all grew together. Um, I think when it came with Colt, he had a lot of guys that already learned and knew how to practice, knew how to win. And I think that's what helped the younger guys because then when he became, you know, a senior, you had a lot of guys that came along with him that knew the ropes that were redshirt freshmen that were playing against all the behind us seniors and things of that nature. 
Yeah, you did have a, a lot of veterans on that team coming back after the national championship. Was there a part of you that was like pissed off that Vince left? Like, just come on, come back one more year and let's. No, nah, I mean again. it was. I mean, what more do you have to prove? I mean, right. he want to win a Heisman. He should have. I mean, yeah. but you beat two Heisman <laughs> Trophy winners. I mean, I don't know if that has ever been done before. I don't know statistically wise, but I mean, you had two back to back, um, two back to back Heisman Trophy winners that you just went up against. You went to L.A., which is USC's home field advantage, in my personal opinion. But when you look at the pictures, you see it looked like it was a Texas home field advantage. Um, and, and what what more did you have to prove? I mean, you won a national title. Um, you was you was go you, before you, you get you hurt. Wasn't, right? You wasn't going to improve your draft stat. St- I mean, status. Yeah. So, what what did you have to prove? I, That's I, just me wanting him to come back as another year. So I mean, we have another you, national you want championship. Come back, yeah, but yeah. again, I mean, I look at it. What did you have to prove? I mean, two years in a row, you proved yourself that. I mean, the last game that you lost was the year prior, and I think that was Oklahoma. We lost to Adrian Peterson his his freshman year, uh, 12-0. So they kicked four field goals versus <laughs> Oklahoma. So That's the only time he beat Texas, though. Adrian yeah. Peterson, he got yeah. one win against Texas. Yeah, he never scored. Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> they know that. that. No, nah, he's, he's probably scored. I just know he never scored when they were losing. Yeah. But, um, again, I mean, what more did you have to prove? I don't think he had anything else to prove. I think it was time for him to go to the next level, which he proved when he got there. He he turned the program around at, for the Tennessee Titans in the following year, uh, the following two years, made it to the playoffs. And if you realize, Tennessee ain't been to the playoffs until last year. Yeah. So um, what did he have to prove? Yeah. Last question I got for you because they're, they're tapping on the door for us. There's a lot of talk about who is DBU. And when you were listing off all those Texas guys playing in that just one secondary that was all on the same roster, do you still feel like, you know, with Coach Aquina and the, what he built here, the culture, then you guys carrying it forward is Texas DBU or is, I mean, Ohio State's getting all these first rounders now. LSU's got some dudes. You think it's still Texas? I'm going to still ride with Texas. I mean, you, you, you look at it, even when we say DBU and you, and you look at it, I mean, all our guys come from Texas. Yeah. All our guys come from Texas. So even when we won a national championship, I think we might have had one or two people that was from a different state. The rest of the guys were here from Texas. So when I look at LSU, I look at, I mean, LSU and be like, we're we're DBU. And and maybe I'm being biased, but, I mean, Patrick Peterson's from Florida. Uh, when you look at Alabama, you got those guys, what, um, What's names from Alabama? I know Landon Cousins from Louisiana. Uh, ha ha, Clint Dix is from uh, um, Florida. Our guys is all from Texas. Yeah, so yeah. you're all keeping it. Says a lot. We yeah. we from Texas, <laughs> and they still got guys on their team from Texas. Right, LSU definitely does. Yeah, yeah. So we from all from Texas. So I mean, they can claim what they want to claim, and I don't even think they even said it until we said it, and they was like, "Let's just follow the trend." All right, man. Thanks for your time. We you appreciate welcome. it. We put out the memo in Austin, I guess, that as brothers, we come down here to do a podcast. We get all the former Texas player brothers. So we had Jordan Shipley. 
Uh, I'm not just saying this because you're sitting here. One of my favorite players of all time. I was also a white wide receiver, and you gotta you gotta find that guy and roll with him. Like, yep, that's my guy, George Chipley. So no, I loved it. We uh, Chris Sims, a, a coworker of ours, and we always joke around about you know you gotta you gotta roll with those white boy supremes. So uh, he would be mad at me if we didn't mention it. Probably but like the original, the original one, one yeah. Chipley. But man, you had a hell of a career here, and it's awesome to see you're you're hanging out in Austin doing stuff with the Longhorn Network. So welcome to the show. Hey, thanks guys, I appreciate it, man. I, I don't. I can't claim the original. I think I, maybe maybe at UT, but um, you know, I, when I was in high school, gr- kind of grew up watching Wes Welker a little bit, and yeah, it's actually part of the reason I came to UT is because I didn't want to go to Tech and, and do that. That's so. what we like to hear. Yeah, that's, that's Texas yeah. fans sitting in the room here. We like to say you yeah. didn't want to go to Tech. Yeah, which you know that's one of my questions for you. A and M's not a rival anymore. Tech still kind of a rival. OU. Um, how do you feel about those schools? Because I'm very biased about it, and I will openly say I hate OU <laughs> like I do. We have a college football pack podcast, but I can't stand those guys. Did you have that feeling too, or maybe do you still? Yeah, I, I, to me, it's just one of those like you grow up in Texas. I, I don't, I don't understand the feeling of growing up and having that Texas pride instilled in you, and then wanting to go represent another state. You know, to me, it's just like, I mean, it's, it's. I feel like it's been that way since the beginning of time. You, you represent your place and and your spot in the world and if you grow up in texas i mean what better place to represent the state of texas than here so yeah there's a there's a little bit of uh malice you know i think yeah <laughs> yeah he talks about it every, three times a week he talks about it on the show but no you're right and i mean with the current coaching staff tom herman's trying to get things turned around we actually toured the facility on friday it's beautiful they just got to get the players in here now how much of that should be the recruiting pitch to these guys like i mean you should be, I know Ed Oliver says, you know, loyal to your soil, but if you're from this area, you should be coming to University of Texas, not LSU, definitely not Oklahoma, definitely not, you know, walking on at Texas Tech and then going to Oklahoma, things like that. So how important is it to keep, you know, these guys in Central Texas here? I think it's huge. I mean, Central Texas, the Houston area, Dallas, Fort Worth, um, you know, I'm originally from West Texas. There's not not a whole lot of West (laughs) Texas talent coming out, but I mean, that's the other that's the other thing when you look at whether it be OU's or Austin, especially OU probably, but several of these other, it's like, man, half the roster's from Texas anyway, you know? So if you could if you could keep the best of those guys here and, you know, figure out a way to, you know, to do that, that's, I mean, forget coaching abilities and everything else. I mean, you could pretty much run anything you want yeah. if you got the guys that are that good. It's like Oklahoma decided if you can't beat them, join them. So they just started taking all the players in Texas. Oh, everybody <laughs> knows. I mean, that's, you know, you get coaching, you know, those coaches from from East Coast, West Coast, everywhere in between. I mean, they spend a lot of time in Texas, and there's a reason. Yeah, you talk about all the great players that Texas has had and keeping those boys in. We are brothers, and the University of Texas has a great tradition of having brothers. You and your brother – Colton Case McCoy, the Acho brothers, obviously Michael Marcus Griffin. Who's the best pair of brothers if you had to rank them? Ooh. I will tell you, Michael Griffin said him and Marcus. Did he? Well, I'd be disappointed if he did. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the same thing as as like the the state deal and where you're from. You gotta, you know, um, I, I'll do this. My brother is one of those guys that is probably the most humble person in the world, and he won't. You could have he, you can ask him a million questions about him, and he's gonna make it about somebody else, but. Um, you know, just to brag on him for a minute. I mean, he he actually ended up, and probably a lot of people don't know this, but I think he's number three all time uh, in receptions at UT. So, um, you know, I, I could make a strong argument for him, you know, at least. But but it has been pretty neat to see, you know, obviously Colton Case um, and, and 
And really, you know, a lot of people say a bunch of stuff about Colt not being roommates, and that gets, you know, has been thrown around a whole bunch. But, you know, he, he was really kind of almost like a brother to me too. So having having guys that are family or like family um, do well is pretty neat to see. Yeah, and you're being really humble by not talking about yourself there at all. Yeah. Like none of your accomplishments. Somebody had 116 catches their senior year, but <laughs> well, again, I mean, <laughs> I, I, that's I mean, I had fortunate to have probably the best you know quarterback in the history of college. Oh, to me, I finished his career with more wins than anybody else in college football history. Exactly. So, uh, and and you know, to 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 hit on that too. I mean some of the little things that he was able to do, um, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm just now starting to appreciate it really because you don't think about it a whole lot when you're there, you know, but the accuracy and the ability to put the ball exactly where it needed to be. And, and if nothing else, I mean, body position and what guys can do with the ball after they catch it. A lot of times is, you know, people talk about yards after catch. A lot of that's where the quarterback puts the ball and puts you in position to, to do yeah. something with it afterwards. And we're, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing some of that now. It's kind of like, Man, you know, you can appreciate it more looking back after some some you know some tougher years. I think in the last decade. Oh yeah, I, I'm sure a lot of Texas fans have an appreciation for Colt definitely now that may, they maybe didn't then. I don't want to bring up a sore subject, so don't come across the table at me. How much do you hate Marcel Darius and Nick Saban? Oh man, you know it's <laughs> it's um, that, that's another thing too. I mean, I, I don't think about it a whole lot now, but. Um, you know, 2009. I guess if you know Colt stays healthy, I, I think um, that turns out a whole. And even um, you know their quarterback does, I guess, some some media stuff and all that. And I think somebody was telling me the other day that he said he thought if Colt was healthy that they would have yeah. lost by like a, a, I don't remember how many, it was several touchdowns. A healthy yeah. margin, like yeah. obviously, if Colt Which, stays healthy. I mean, and I agree. I mean, I I, I think that I, I would be comfortable in saying that I think we had a great game plan and I don't think they were outstanding on defense really so that that 2005 Texas team was very good and you were young and you were a part of that but how do you think they compare with that 2009 team that probably could have won a national championship yeah I think both of those teams are you know pretty pretty similar as far as I mean that year um, we had a we had a tough week against uh, Nebraska in the Big 12 championship but you know they had that tough one against Kansas uh Kansas on the road up there. I believe um, yeah. pulled it out, and so and, and you know I think you put those teams together. It might depend on what day. You know yeah. I think I think that's two really really good squads right there. So if you had to rank your all time Texas quarterbacks, like not I mean we've got Colton there. Uh, you got to put Sims, Vy, Major. If you could play with one of those guys for one game, who would it be? Uh, well, for me personally, it'd be Colt no hand. I mean, no question about it. Just yeah. because of, just because you know, probably the most accurate guy to ever come through here. He had the competitiveness that Major had, um, and and he had some sneaky running ability. I think that a lot of people yeah. don't give him credit for. But not that he was Vince Young. He wasn't <laughs> by any stretch of the yeah, imagination right. Vince Young. But he could he could make some plays with his feet. So um, to me, I think he was probably um, not the biggest. You know, maybe not the most talented, but had the best combination of a whole bunch of different things. Yeah, and still in the NFL. Yeah, and still, like he's carved yeah. out a nice little career. Probably not. Yeah, probably not doing bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then there were guys back. I mean, I think James Street was was yeah. just a real neat guy. You know, from a personality standpoint, and just grit and and running ability and all that stuff. Those were different times, but uh, obviously Vy. Um, 
you know, was one of the best college football players to probably ever play in major, you know, and, and Chris Sims both. Chris was, Chris was great. They had a, you know, that was a, that was a tough time. I think, you know, having to come through and having some quarterback controversy, but they were both really good. Um, major, major kind of had that, the competitiveness and big game flair, you know? Yeah. He was a gamer for sure. All right, man. We appreciate your time. Have fun out there today. Trying to get rained on. Sounds good. I'm bringing an umbrella. All right. Thanks again to our guys, Jordan Shipley and Michael Griffin. Uh, now I want cupcakes is the only problem. So uh, we'll have to find a way to, to swing some of those on the way home, Mello. Um, one thing we do want to do, we close out the show every time, whether you're listening on Monday, Wednesday, or Friday is with draft on draft questions. You guys can submit these through Instagram at stick to football through Twitter at stick to football. You can hop on our Reddit page. It's also called stick to football. So a lot of great ways you can send questions in and, and interact with us. First question comes from Instagram. It's from Tyler spinning Weber. I hope I'm saying that right, man. You guys know I'm great with names. He wanted to know some of the best football books. He just finished Doug Farrar's new book that came out. Uh, I, I have, I've said all along, like I'm very much self-taught when it comes to a lot of the, the, a lot of the things that I do. I actually have a list. So um, if you can hit me up, I can send you a list of some of my favorite books, but you know, I, I think both smart football books by Chris Brown are really good. Um, it, it's definitely good introductory type things. The Genius by David Harris is about Bill Walsh. Love that book. The Packer Way by Ron Wolf is one I know that, that I got Connor that we've yeah, both, it's great. You know, dog-eared the shit out of. The one book, if if you can find it, is very expensive. It's usually like three hundred dollars, but it's called Finding the Winning Edge. It's by Bill Walsh. If you can get that book. Uh, number one, run off some copies and sell them because you'd be a rich person. But uh, it is a great book about just understanding how to build a team. And it, it is a little dated now, but um, it, how to build a team. And then the X's knows the West Coast offense. It's it's really a, a very good book. Yeah. And one more introductory one, I think that that helps a lot of people and is very introductory is take your eye off the ball. I think that's a really it's longer. Yeah. By Pat um, yeah. Yep. I love Ron Wolf's book because it shows you or takes you inside the mind of a decision maker and how really how the Brett Favre decision was one of those things where he's like his intuition was like, I'm right about this. No matter if the room thinks I'm wrong, it's it's picking your spots when to stand up for something. So I think, yeah, that's a great list. And like you said, Matt, you get this question so often that you compiled your own list to just send people. Yeah. Next question from Instagram, reach into your mind a dude who sends in great questions often. How does the 2019 draft class affect Le'Veon Bell's market as a free agent? Mello, something we've talked about, it might be a down year for running backs that could actually end up being a pretty good thing for Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, definitely, because nobody's really established themselves as like the top running back. And it's looking like there aren't going to be any like running back first round prospects this year. So I think that does help Le'Veon Bell if he can get back onto the field this year. Yeah, and, and I'm looking at guys like Damian Harris, David Montgomery, like who is going to step up and be that RB1. And Le'Veon Bell is uh, not that much wear and tear, honestly, for a guy who is one of the best running backs in the NFL because he's missed so much yeah, time. he plays like 10 games every right. year. So he's playing it smart, and I, I do think there's going to be a market for him. I, I know it's like, I mean, we're months and months away from free agency, there's so much smoke around him going to the Colts that it makes me wonder if it's just going to happen because they're going to have the money and he wants to go somewhere with an established quarterback and planning a dome wouldn't suck. Like I, it's not one of those things where you like want to report like there's mutual interest or something, but there's a lot of people talking about that as a something that's like, Oh, it's just going to happen. So we'll be worth watching. 
All right, Tyler. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I mean, when you look at Le'Veon Bell's situation, I do think all his guaranteed money is going to still be within the first two years. I- I've heard that teams are are still very concerned about him, you know, playing through guaranteed money at a very high level, whether it's focus, whether it's, you know, the injuries and drug tests. So, but it is a good market for him because there's no round one running backs this year. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And one thing... <laughs> You'll love this, Connor. I've had people ask me like about the Jets because they're going to have so much money for agency. Like, oh, would the Jets no get sh- Le'Veon Bell? I, no. I doubt it. No. no shot. I don't think they value yeah. the running back position enough. Same with uh, a lot of the teams out there where it's like if you have someone who kind of is that old school Mike Shanahan philosophy, whether it's coaching or in the front office, you're not spending a lot of money on a running back. I mean, and Isaiah Crowell looked, actually looked pretty decent in the opener. So uh, let's jump into this next one uh, from Trevor Guthrie on Instagram. The NBA is looking into letting players declare right out of high school for the draft. Would this work for football? How many years is enough for some prospects? So I, this is another question I think we've had a lot over the last, uh, you know, almost year and a half of doing the show. And what I always go back to is there might be one guy every couple of years who actually could jump from high school to the NFL, but you Boy, have that. to govern for the thousands and thousands of other players coming out of high school every year who just aren't ready. We already see it with underclassmen in college, like guys who are redshirt sophomores or juniors that have no business declaring for the draft and an agent gets in their head or they struggle academically or, you know, it's the family starts getting at them that they need money and I'll just, you know, go to the NFL, go to the NFL. It's not that simple. So I would, I would hate it. Honestly, if the rule changed any from how it is now, I think the three year rule is perfect because it, it does require guys to to not only grow up a little bit in college, but also to mature physically uh, and to give us time to really, truly evaluate them. I'm with you all the way. I think maybe Ed Oliver could have done it this year, but he is a one of a kind player that we just haven't seen. And you got to think about most of these guys are coming into college football. They don't even weigh 200 pounds yet. Like you'll get a 160 pound receiver that puts on 20, 25 pounds over his college career. Those guys can't come into the NFL and do anything. They won't be able to get off jam coverage. They won't be able to go over the middle. They will literally die. Like they will get their asses kicked (laughs) if they went straight from high school to the NFL. Yeah, Yeah, they'll be broken. They'd be broken so fast. There's no way you can go from high school to the NFL. I do think there should be some kind of thing formulated for where they do like maybe one a year called like the freshman exception rule where if the NCAA feels it's warranted due to NFL demand, one freshman can get granted exemption and move on. It would have been good for a guy like Fournette. It, there's always guys, there's always like one that can do it. Like Mello said, Ed Oliver was the guy that already looked ready. I mean, but that becomes dicey because then there could be, oh, you know, Clowney say, could have done it. Yeah, there, but there'll be people pissed off that they didn't get it. But if you go by what the NFL demands, I think, I do think it'd be warranted, but man, like you said, it's like one out of a million all the time. Just these guys are not physically and mentally, more importantly, mentally ready. Yeah. Next question. Uh, This one coming in from Reddit. Our last three questions actually all from Reddit. Uh, Ryder dies wants to know who in our opinion has been the worst hire in college football so far. There's a lot of options. Willie Taggart, Kevin Sumlin, Chip Kelly come to mind and he's surprised as am I that it's not Herm Edwards. Yeah, no, not Herm at all. Works up. It's great. I'm going, I'm going Willie Taggart. Like what we've seen, they have talent on that Florida State team. 
I know that a lot of people were down on them early, but they have talent. They're not well coached. Like the reason they are losing games is all because of coaching. They can't get guys on the field and they can't get the ball in the hands of their playmakers. Cam Akers was a special running back last year. You bring back Francois, who was maybe not a pro prospect, but a good college quarterback, like a Heisman favorite type quarterback, and they can't do shit against anyone. They look terrible. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's really Taggart. Like Chip Kelly, you knew it was going to take a while for him to get his type of players out there at uh, UCLA. Um, Kevin Sumlin, why would anyone think Kevin Sumlin was going to be a good coach? Uh, I don't know. So I don't. I guess I had no expectations there. I think it is Willie Taggart. Uh, it, can we put Jim Harbaugh on the list still? Like, is there a way to just keep his name fresh in there? I know Michigan's they they, they won yesterday, and I think they've won a couple now. But I still just don't at all understand the hype around Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, but Michigan isn't paying Jim Harbaugh to beat Toledo or whatever. You know what I mean? They're paying him to beat Ohio State. That's the problem here and why it's such a letdown. So I'm with you, Harbaugh, really Willie Taggart, because his pitch is like a coming home dream job story. You got to show up. And it just sounds like everything there is a mess. I do want to give some love to a guy that has been on this list probably the last two years and is turning it around. Dino Babbers. I mean, Syracuse, yes, they've been four and eight the last two years, two and no start, but they look competitive and they've had some big wins. Not you know before this year, I just think he's finally got some of his guys there. And for a program that was on the ground floor, as bad as it gets, if they can get to be a middle of the pack program, that would be a success for Syracuse. Yeah, three and zero, man. Three and zero, three and zero. Yes, playing in a dome with no air conditioning. It's amazing. Oh, the dome is. I saw your conversation about the dome, and I want to completely agree with you that the dome is. Not a good place to watch football. It's funny. People <laughs> made it out that I was like talking shit about the school and no, like the, the dome the sucks. City. People know, no, people like, know this. Yeah. <laughs> no, the dome just sucks. Like there's a reason they're renovating it. I mean, but it's 2018 and there's a dome with no air conditioning. It was 90 degrees in there yesterday. Like that's, that's a problem. You got to fix it. So no, I wasn't, wasn't throwing shit at Syracuse or upstate New York or anything. Just you, you gotta, you gotta fix it. It's that simple. So next question, uh, this one from big P 88 with quarterbacks trying to stay away from the side of greedy Williams. Can you see him falling out of the top 10? If his interception numbers are down, we've talked about it before guys. It's more about traits, not about numbers. Scouts are smart. General managers are smart. They're going to be able to properly evaluate and say, you know, we're not, they're not looking at the box score to see if Rudy Williams had six or seven picks. They're looking to see how his hips and feet work, what his instincts are, and, and all those things look pretty special. Yeah. But you look at a guy like Deshaun Elliott last year, had like six or seven interceptions and still was drafted very low in the later rounds. Like it, it doesn't matter what you do. They know that his production might not be there, but they don't care. You look at Jadavion Clowney. He had a very down year his junior year, but people don't care because you see what kind of plays. He can make on the field. Numbers don't, they don't matter. Yeah. And I mean, just this, this matches perfectly with the question. Here's your scouting buzz of the show this week. And it's not really that shocking. I've already heard that greedy Williams is the consensus top corner and basically a top 15 lock. If he doesn't fail the combine, like completely bomb the combine teams already know what he is. He's a long physical press corner. That is, he's great in man coverage. He's got ball skills. You know, people love his attitude from that LSU defense. This this one, it's just one of those. We say it all the time. Just don't overthink him. He's a top 15 pick. 
He's probably the best corner in this class. And it doesn't matter if they throw away from him or not. And they're still failing to do that. He had an interception this weekend against another guy that's one of the top quarterbacks of this class. So I'm all in on Greedy. And he's going to be, I think, a very good NFL player. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it is like a, a fascinating discussion, you know, of stats versus talent, really. And and we <laughs> fight the good fight for it every day on Twitter, it feels like. So last question from Sports Fiend on Reddit. If you guys could crack open a beer with one legend from college football and the NFL from any time period uh, to talk to them about their life experiences, who would they be and why? So one college wow. player, one NFL player you can have a beer with. Okay, I took this a different way because it just says legend. So I didn't go with a college football player. I wanted to talk to Keith Jackson oh, because he well, saw so many great football games and was able to talk to so many great players and things through the years that that was the guy that I thought of. So for me, I'm not even going with a player. I'm going with Keith Jackson. What His call in the Rose Bowl, everything else that he's done, he is the voice of college football for my youth. So that would be my guy. It's a great one. Connor's going to pick like Joe Namath or something. Uh, I think NFL would be NFL would be Joe Namath. So I, I've never told this story. When I was four years old, I went to my first Jets game or I was five because my dad wouldn't take me to regular season games when I was younger than that because the crowd was too rowdy at the old Meadowlands. And he walked me down and Joe Namath was on the sidelines. Like, obviously, just he was old as shit, just visiting the game. And my dad yelled to him and he waved at me, like gave me a huge hello, like walked over and everything. And I said, dad, who is that? <laughs> when I was five, <laughs> I had no idea who this old guy is that came over to say hello to us and everything. It was amazing. Uh, college football for me, this is a little nerdy one, but Lee Corso, because I would love to talk to him about not only college football, but also his transition into media, because he's arguably the most set- successful at doing that. I mean, he's, it's funny, like people in my era, pro- like they just think this old man on TV wearing mascot hats, <laughs> right? That's right. Like they don't know the real legend of Lee Corso. So if I could sit and have a six pack with Lee Corso, that wouldn't even cover like one fifteenth of how special his life has been already. Yeah, Mello, did you have an NFL one? I'm yeah. sitting over here like racking my brain for an NFL one. And I just I don't know. I can't so think of one. my NFL one would be Tom Brady just because I I. I find him to be fascinating. I think I could learn a hell of a lot from him. So drinking a beer with Tom Brady would last two seconds, though, because that dude can chug like a mother. <laughs> that also would would make it worthwhile for me yeah, on the college, like vegan beer, right? Right. It would be avocado beer uh, for yeah, me on the college nerd. football side. A lot of people would think it would be like Vince Young being a big Texas fan. Maybe Mac Brown. It's Major Applewhite. Sorry, Chris Sims. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Mello. It's Major Applewhite for me, uh, and he's the the head coach at Houston now. So we could talk about Ed Oliver, but. Uh, it, for me, like, you know, for me, Texas football really started with major Applewhite and Ricky Williams and guys like that. So, and we, we've met Vince young. Now I've met Colt McCoy, you know, met a lot of the great running backs who, who came through there, never met major Applewhite. So he's on my list. How special was it for you guys to meet VY? Cause like he's, he, he's your favorite Texas memory of all time, right? Yeah. Yeah. That play is, is great. Uh, we were standing around yes, uh, Friday night at his foundation and there was a bar, so we had had some drinks, and he started to walk over. He was introducing himself to everyone, and I even told Maz, like, oh, my God, I have to wipe my hand off because I'm, like, my palms are sweating <laughs> because he might come over here and shake our hand, and sure enough, he did, so that was... That's awesome. It now, was a great moment, and he's, he really is such a down-to-earth guy. He's doing everything that he can still for his fans in this area, so it was great to be able to meet him. 
Yeah, and we hope down the road to be able to get him on the podcast. I, his schedule this weekend was incredibly busy because of it being USC weekend. Um, we had a great chat with Jamal Charles uh, about his his future and and you know what he's he's still trying to get back in the league. So definitely had a good time with him. But yeah, like I mean, Vince was I, I made a joke like when's he running for office because that's what it felt like. I mean, he was he introduced himself to us like, hey, I'm Vince. Well, yeah, we know. Like, yeah. We remember you. Yeah. <laughs> We're at your event, man. Your name is on the wall. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was a, a lot of fun. Uh, again, as we close out the show, we have to thank the Longhorn Hellraisers. They they open up their tailgate to us, and we we had a blast. I've never seen people that excited for a cooler and natty light. It was, <laughs> we were sitting there yesterday trying to decide, I was trying to decide what beer to buy, and Mello's like, don't buy anything else. No one's going to drink it. Just buy natty. And they were very excited for it. So uh, good call by Mello there. We are going to be at TCU, Iowa State in two, two weeks. Two weeks, baby. Two weeks. September 29th is the game. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will be posting details about where you can find us tailgating. And the three of us will be together. Mello, Connor, myself will all be together. So this weekend was really a test run uh, of what we're capable of doing at a tailgate. I think in two weeks it'll be even better because we will all be together. We'll have a lot of ability to do more things. Uh, especially on our social media channels. I mean, maybe even get some live draft on draft in there. That'd be hot. That's a hot move. This tailgate that we did was even more private. Like we joined somebody else's tailgate. Uh, in two weeks, you won't have to DM us for a location. Right. And I get it what the hell Hellraisers were doing. In, in two weeks, we're just going to tell you this is where we're at. Stop by and join us. So be looking for that information. I don't even know if we really have a spot hammered out yet, but we will be tailgating and it will be a public event for you to come say hi to Connor, to Matt, to myself and check us all out. Yeah. Come get that autograph. Mello will sign your baby. Connor will take a picture with you and uh, you can yell at me about all the players I've been wrong about. It's going to be a lot of fun for you guys. That's our show. Thanks again to Michael Griffin and Jordan Shipley. Thanks to the folks at Longhorn Network for hooking us up. We definitely appreciate it. And we'll talk to you guys Wednesday morning. Make sure you subscribe. Thank you.